0: Before we start our episode, we want to welcome Middle Sister Wines as our happy hour sponsor. Did you know that birth order is commonly believed to have a profound and lasting effect on psychological development, and that the Middle Sister has a greater chance of having a wine named just for her? Well, welcome to the world of Middle Sister, sassy wines for Middle Sisters and everybody who loves them which includes the Three Tomatoes. We've been fans for years of their delicious whites like Drama Queen Pinot Grigio, but we confess we're slightly partial to Rebel Red and her sassy remarks like, if anyone tells you they don't like red wine, stop talking to them. You don't need that kind of negativity in your life. They're more than just a wine. They're a family of sisters you're going to love. Learn more at MiddlesisterWines.com. And now we hope you enjoy today's episode to the Three Tomatoes Happy Hour. I'm Cheryl Benton, and today we're going to talk about women's sexual health and wellness, which is becoming a huge market with tons of opportunities for vagipreneurs. And yes, (laughs) you heard me right, vagipreneurs. But there are still a lot of taboos around women's sexual health, too. And my guest today is is an expert in all of this. Rachel braun Sherrill is a pioneer in the women's sexual health business, having launched a very successful product to enhance women's sexual pleasure, and now she shares her expertise with other companies in this space through her company, Spark Solutions for Growth. She is also the author of a groundbreaking book called Orgasmic Leadership, Profiting from the Coming Surge in Women's Sexual Health and Wellness. So welcome, Rachel.
1: Thank you so much, Cheryl. I'm delighted to be with you today.
0: I know. We're so excited to have this conversation because I think it's it's really fascinating and And uh, we're all going to learn a lot. So I have to start with the question that I'm sure you're (laughs) asked all the time is how did you go from being an entrepreneur to a vagipreneur and what does that actually mean? Okay, that's that's, uh, an easy one to
1: start with. So I had had my own consulting business with a business partner um, for 20 years and we focused on driving top line growth for consumer products companies health and wellness brands, pharmaceuticals, devices, you name it. And essentially, we had been dealing with products and solutions that affected women from the tops of their heads to the tips of their toes. So we had spent a lot of time in the business of women's health. In 2008, a venture capitalist happened to show us a business plan for a product that was a patented blend of botanical oils and extracts and was clinically proven to increase arousal, desire, and satisfaction For women of all ages and life stages. So, we—long story short—we bought the asset, we built the business, um, we created a category. Uh, We we took many, many, many of the skills that we had always had in terms of marketing strategy and business building, and applied it specifically to this space. And in the course of some of the work that we had done, um, a brilliant journalist by the name of Abby Ellen was who had interviewed us for the first big article we had in the New York Times said, Oh, I get it. You're in the business of female health. You're vagapreneurs.
0: I <laughs> <So> love that. <laughs> I
1: always give her credit. And then the, the reaction that we kept getting from the word was so positive that I reached out to Abby and I said, you know, you came up with it. Are you ever going to use it? And she said, no. I said, well, then I'm going to trademark it. So that's what I did. And basically, it's a shorthand to describe myself and the dozens, um, if not hundreds of people working in the business of finding better products and solutions for women's reproductive and sexual health needs.
0: Yay, bravo. So I love you said two words, and we're going to get to those in a few minutes, too. I think it was arousal and desire, because apparently... Those are sort of taboo words when it comes to women's sexual health. But before we get there, let's let's talk a little bit about where we're all familiar with these products like Viagra and Cialis because, well, how can we not be? I mean, they've been brought into our living rooms through our TV screens for years. And if you've ever had to explain erectile dysfunction to an eight-year-old, you know what I mean. Yeah. So, yeah. So, there seems to be no problem talking about men's sexual products to the general pr- public, but that doesn't seem to hold true at all for women's sexual health products which is not something honestly I was aware of until I actually started to read your book and I was like what what why um because you would think this is 2019 right so you of course know this all firsthand because that product you were talking about was a very successful product for women called Zestra and if you could share some of that story and, and the products that you encountered early on starting with potential investors.
1: Okay, so I when I talk about this, people have the very same reaction. How could this be? And I've been talking about it now for 11 years. So they say, how could this be in 2008? And they still are saying, how could this be in 2019? Yes. So while we've made significant progress, which I'd love to talk about in a minute, we still face a number of enormous hurdles. Um, one of which is, Female sexuality and female sexual response is definitionally much more complex. So, male sexual response, you know, in, in layman's terms, the system works like a hydraulic pump. And when you increase the blood flow, which is basically what the drugs Viagra um, and Levitra and Cialis do, they're vasodilators, they increase the blood flow and the system works. For women, it's objectively a much more complicated set of interconnected systems. So it's emotional, it's psychological, it's physical, it's behavioral, it's contextual. So there, it's really just a much more complicated problem to start with. Second of all, because it's complicated, um, and you're talking about female body parts, when you go into venture capitalists, at least when we did in 2008, uh, we're speaking to primarily, um, you know, 35 to 55-year-old white men. And one yeah. of the things that happens in the VC conversation when it relates to, to anything that ha- feels sexual is they use an additional filter where they say, well, if this isn't a problem that I've ever heard about, then it's probably not a problem. So for instance, when we would say, you know, 43% of women have sexual concerns and difficulties and they would say, well, my wife never mentioned it. You know, you now have to go through a hurdle of them believing the data. But just yeah. to give very, very specific um, examples of what, what happened when we did this, and it was 2008, and the bottom was falling out of the financial market. Lehman Brothers was going bankrupt, so were a lot of other large companies. It right, enough, not, not yeah. the
0: ideal time to be not the ideal funding, time. right?
1: <laughs> In terms of the financial marketplace, the economic health of the country, being two women you know, we know the statistics, we don't have to belabor them, but we know you have a much reduced chance of getting money when you walk into um, an investing situation. And the third piece was we were talking about female health and vaginas. So we had 13 meetings in two days, you know, so we're all excited. And, you know, for anyone who's never been to Silicon Valley, it's basically a series of, to the entrepreneur, relatively nondescript buildings, they all Describe that they have a different investment thesis um, and different approaches, but the more you go through in a short period of time, they do start to blur. I have to be honest. Yeah. So sure. we walked into the first one, and the first question we get was, um, "How is this different than Viagra?" Bi- and you know, so we explained at some of what I said earlier, which is, you know, the male sexual response works with a hydraulic pump system, vasodilator, and we're going through all the science and you know, their eyes are sort of glazing. Now, understand that when you go into an investing conversation, your objective is to get to the next meeting, which is very unlikely to happen if there's no conversation and no questions. So almost worse than there being no questions, the people in the room were giggling to each other and elbowing. And, you know, you can hear they were, you know, whispering tales of their sexual exploits and yeah well it's like the frat
0: frat boys right
1: well I always say it felt a little bit like a seventh grade locker room and then I realized well I know seventh graders and I think that makes them sound less mature than they actually are (laughs) Um, so anyway the first one we have this conversation we you know we bring a lot of experience we're professionals we've built other successful businesses but we get no questions and basically we just get laughs so we go into the next meeting and they ask another very reasonable question which is um, you know what? You did a clinical study, and it talks about satisfaction. What about his satisfaction? And so we described how the study was designed, and it was in thirteen um, nationally recognized sexual health centers, so on and so forth. It was uh, designed like a pharmaceutical study, double-blind, placebo-controlled. And the reason I'm going into this detail is because this is what we thought they wanted to know. They want, right. we wanted. We thought they wanted to know that this was legitimate. This was real science. And the answer to the question about our research with satisfaction was, well, primarily the study was meant to measure her satisfaction um, and the way the product works. The vaginal tissue is thinner and it would take longer to penetrate the penile tissue. Um, And what we believe anecdotally is that his satisfaction was a result of potentially feeling like a more skilled partner or that his partner enjoyed it more and again, this study, I hadn't mentioned it before, was done with with heterosexual um, couples. Mm-hmm. So. Same thing happened. We're getting giggles They're, you know, slapping each other on the back and laughing. And, you know, so now we're at strike two. We have 11 more meetings. And at this point, Mary and I think instead of a business opportunity, it's going to feel like a prison sentence. <laughs> um So we go and we say, well, we have to do something different. This clearly isn't working and we're strategists and salespeople. So if what you're doing isn't working, you know, you have to figure out another way. And just as a tangent, I am by nature a credit card person, which means I charge everything. I track everything. I could tell you what I spent in groceries if anyone (laughs) cared in any month of the last 20 years (laughs) and any other category as well. And the reason I say this is I don't know what made me look in my wallet, but I happen to have a hundred dollar bill. And based on what came next, Mary and I said, well, this is either dumb luck or divine intervention. So we see the $100 bill, we huddle, we come up with an idea, and we say, let's give this a shot. We're going into meeting number three. The first two, we're clearly not getting a follow-up. And if we mess this one up, we still have 10 more. Let's try to mix it up and try something a little more dramatic. So we come up with our plan, and we go into the third meeting. And I hold a $100 bill in my hand and we, we then go into sort of the pitch that we had developed, and I smack the $100 bill on the table, and I say, here's a $100 bill. If anyone asks us a question about the category that we can't answer, if anyone says a sexual joke that we haven't heard before, if anyone makes a double entendre that makes us blush, this $100 is yours. <laughs> and then we pause for effect, and I say... She likes it more. She wants to have it more. Let's talk about the business model. And yeah. I'm...
0: <laughs> I was going to say, if that, that was just so brilliant. I love this story. It's so great, but go and on. I
1: refer to that as the moment that we sort of stepped
0: into <laughs> orgasmic leadership, which is <laughs> sort of
1: owning the conversation. And what we did, you know, it was tongue in cheek. But what we basically communicated by changing sort of the energy in the room was saying, we're serious. We know our stuff. You can't embarrass us ask us anything, bring it on, and we're serious business people.
0: That's such a, it's a great story, Rachel, and it's such a great business lesson. Oh, my gosh, I just, I, I just love it and how you totally turn the, turn the dynamic around. So, I know that you eventually got your funding, which we did, fantastic, and then you had another hurdle because then you had to figure out how you were going to market Zestra, and then you suddenly found yourself... And this still amazes me, and I came out of the advertising business too, so it really shocked me even more, that you suddenly found yourself up against media who didn't want to run your ads. And, yeah. And, 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 yeah, and, but I also love this story too, because it ends with a joke, at mad, get even ending too. So, can you share yes. that part sure. of this?
1: So, we went to, let's say, about 100 media outlets. And when I say media outlets, I mean network, I mean cable, I mean websites, I mean radio stations, you name it. We reached out to them. We had a fairly what we thought was a benign ad that basically was a talking head talking about, you know, now there's, we're talking about something that women have been thinking about for a long time. And we got flat out rejected by 95 of them. And when I say we got rejected, we would say we have money to buy real estate, (laughs) to buy time on your, on your media outlet. And they said, no. Uh,
0: Incredible. they didn't
1: say no for any particular reason. They said, they didn't say, well, the reason we do Viagra is because that's a pharmaceutical. And we would have had a response to that, that we had done, you know, a legitimate, legitimate peer reviewed clinical study. Um, They said things like, uh, we're concerned that consumers will call and complain and we happen to know that there's been no source of greater uh, complaints to the stations than when those ads first started coming out and just to put it in perspective viagra was approved 21 years ago so we've been watching these ads for 21 years and we see them at on cbs you know at 5 p.m on the super bowl and we couldn't get access to lifetime channel at 8 30 p.m when we're pretty sure you know the eight-year-old boy that you referred to is not watching Lifetime so amazing we you know banged our head against the wall and really worked hard at it and when it became clear that you know strategy and logic alone were not going to get us there we decided that we had to turn it into a media story the fact that if we can't buy media for a clinically approved product for a legitimate concern which by the way again to put it in perspective thirty one percent of men have e d erectile dysfunction forty three percent of women at some point in their lives have sexual concerns and difficulties, so we 're talking about forty percent more right so what we did is you know using your, the expression you said don't get mad, get even. We made it a media story, and that was when we met Abby Ellen, the person who uh, created the term entrepreneur, and we worked we had We identified a couple of PR firms. We went through a couple before we got to the one that had the secret sauce, Diane Terman Public Relations. And long story short, this was a a long process, but on a Tuesday, um, the article was in the New York Times talking about the disparity between men and women's advertising. The next day, the product was featured on The View and Good Morning America. And the following Tuesday, Mary and I did an eight-minute segment on ABC News. And essentially, we were off to the races because when you were able to speak in an editorial context and talk about what the product was capable of doing and the fact that it had no drug-drug interactions and that you were actually solving a concern that a lot of women had, and people could hear about it, they could buy it. We doubled our sales for six weeks in Walmart. We were trending words all over the place. We were in every major um, online and uh, newspaper publication. We were on all kinds of TV. So we got the story out, and that was what propelled the business growth. Now, that's the good news. The challenging news is that when you're relying on PR, you can't control when it happens. So, For instance, we had a huge launch planned, and sadly, it was the weekend we were in L.A., and we were launching, and it was the weekend of the Grammys and the weekend Whitney Houston died, which was tragic in and of itself, separate and apart from us. From a public relations perspective, that was the story, obviously, because it was an important story. It was during Grammy weekend, so you know we got drowned out. So that's one of the challenges with building a business on on PR alone is there are a lot of things you can do, and it has a huge impact on growth, but you can't control what's happening in the media environment on any particular day.
0: Exactly, but it it was still it was still a great
1: strategy
0: and when you execute it really well so you you took off from there obviously and I know you eventually sold Zestra and um, then you started to work with other vagipreneurs and I know that's what you've been doing for a while now so I want to talk next about what's changed in the field of women's sexual health and wellness products and what hasn't and I'd love to start with the what's change part because the story you told, that was what, around 2008, 2009 with the yeah, media? Yeah, 2008 to 2012. Yeah so, yeah, so. yeah, so here we are, you know, a decade later but some of it still hasn't changed. And I know, for example, there's a company called Pulse that you're very familiar with too. They make really wonderful natural lubricants for women. They work. I've tried them. They've become an advertiser of ours. I I just love what they're doing. And I know they're a client of yours, but they've also experienced this kind of pushback. Can you tell what you know about that story? Sure.
1: So I'll, I'll answer the first question, which is what has changed for the better? Uh, just because I like to be hopeful and optimistic. Here's what's changed. There are a lot more people starting businesses. There's a lot more money flowing into this space. There are a lot more creative sources of capital for funds that are focused on women, funds that are specifically focused on women in femtech or sex tech, as they call it, um, a lot of angel investors. So there are a lot more opportunities other than the traditional venture capital path, which still works for some companies, um, for This space,
0: which, that has is excellent.
1: In, which has some inherent challenges, the number of leaders in this space, the, the caliber of the leaders in this space, the number of companies being started and built every day is astounding. And that's one of the reasons I'm so energized and passionate and have stayed in this space for so long. So that's the good news. What's still a challenge is, and I'll come back to the Pulse example, is, for instance, for many of the products that I work with. They're focused on women, let's say 35 plus, um, perimenopausal, if not going into menopause, and they are spending still a fair amount of time on Facebook, where you can do all kinds of targeting. And it's not that they're not on Instagram, and it's not that they're not on Twitter, but they do get a lot of their information still on Facebook. Well, Facebook has a series of policies that basically says that anything sexual, um, which they define as sexual... They create these algorithms, which I say are only as good as the human application of them or interpretation (laughs) of them. They create these algorithms that decide this is good, this is bad, this is appropriate, this is inappropriate. So two months ago, so I'm now talking about March of 2019, um, a gentleman by the name of Salvatore Rodriguez wrote an article for CNBC, and he interviewed Amy Buckhalter, who's this brilliant and dynamic CEO and founder of CULT. Yes, she is. Fabulous. She was talking about how her ads got rejected when they were very benign. There was nothing really sexual about them. They were for menopause, but they didn't mention body parts. They didn't mention sex. They didn't mention intimacy. And the ads got rejected. And the way we understand, the reason we understand they got rejected is Because the way Facebook applies their algorithm, and they're not the only ones, but they're the biggest ones, is that if it says vagina, it's sexual. Interestingly, compare that to erectile dysfunction, which in the algorithm (laughs) is not (laughs) under sexual in nature. It's under family planning.
0: Oh my gosh.
1: Which is also ironic, because at least what I know about erectile dysfunction users, the majority. Um, the, <laughs> many are using that for performance enhancement yes. who are not in the process <laughs> of planning for families and the other half are using it for, for performance enhancement. And they're also not focused primarily on oh.
0: family planning. Oh so, my gosh.
1: You know, and you have a whole lot of discussions. I was on a couple of panels at South by Southwest with amazing people and amazing entrepreneurs and, and people in industry and we had different opinions. And, and one of the opinions was, well, this certainly isn't intentional, or mean-spirited, and my reaction is, well, it doesn't really matter what the intention is. These are standards that are being so disparately applied so that we can't even have the conversation
0: exactly exactly and then and then i know you had a you had a couple of other examples in your book too about hollywood where you you would think you'd oh, yeah. be the <laughs> least puritanical people on earth when it comes to sexual pleasure but there's been a, a, a controversy at the oscars with what's been in the swag bag so yes. i trust that I a little bit, bit. <laughs> so
1: when we in in 2010 i believe it was maybe it was 11 we we were just At the tip, we were just about to be approved to be put in the swag bag for one of the three major award um, programs. And in the last minute, they, you know, got cold feet and they said, okay, we can't put you in the bag, but here are tickets to the dress rehearsal, which was fun, Uh, but wasn't exactly business building. So in 2016, a company that's also profiled in the book and, and, and an entrepreneur that I adore, um, Karen Long was working with a company by the name of Noelle, and they had this um, distinctive, um, I believe it's called distinctive gifts or distinctive assets company that did the primary bag for the Oscars. And they got their product, which is basically a device for what they call preplay to get the body prepared, um, again, focused on perimenopausal women, um, prepare the body for intimacy. And the great news is, two pieces of great news, is they got it in the bag. And then there was such an uproar and such craziness oh, oh. that they were able to get even more attention. Oh, my gosh. And then a year later, LV, which is, you know, an amazing company that just got a huge, you know, 40 million plus round of financing, um, also got in. So people were still shouting, but we were making progress. And, and the most recent one that I think is fascinating that happened at um, CES this year is a company run by a woman named Lori DeCar- Laura DiCarlo had developed this amazing sex enhancement solution brilliantly designed with great engineering and they had been selected by CES as um, an innovative, the innovative product of the year. So they were granted an award. Before the conference started, I guess some people must have decided that they were no longer comfortable with this and they rescinded the award. Which, again, oh my gosh, the good news is they got so much press, they got so much PR, and very recently the award was reinstated. And because of the Um, attention that that had grabbed, and there was some opportunity to talk about how brilliant the design was and how well the product worked, they were able to also capture some additional funding. So everything is, there's two steps forward, one step back. We're still creating all of this kind of energy and angst, but the companies and the CEOs and the entrepreneurs are really pushing forward Through that and absolutely making progress, which was one of the inspirations for me writing the book. I mean, this is hard. These categories are hard. We don't need to write. No one needs another book about how hard it is for women to raise money and how hard it is to build companies. So what I did is I interviewed over three dozen CEOs, entrepreneurs, academics, healthcare practitioners, and said, what are they doing to build their businesses in the context that we exist in? in concert with existing trends that they could take advantage of, technology trends, which is right. impacting device development, delivery, every, every aspect of business, new distribution models, creative solutions, um, new models of social impact, and basically highlighting what these people are doing, what we've done and what other companies have done to take advantage and, of these trends with really creative Thinking to drive the growth of their businesses,
0: and it's a and it's a great book because it's such a fabulous roadmap for any anyone who who is you know wants to start a business or is an entrepreneur, whether it's in the vagitpreneur space or the fem femtech space or not, because there's just great lessons to be learned here. Well, what would you say are the three most important pieces of advice you would give to a woman starting a business, any business, whether it's in this area or not? Okay, there are more than three, but I'll to I know. <laughs>
1: three. Um, the most important thing is you have to be able to sell, whether it's your story, whether it's your product, whether it's your financial model. The way to get attention and to way to elicit the funding is to know your business back and forth, what's going to drive it, what each customer is worth to you, really understand the dynamics and the levers that will drive growth. Know who you're targeting to, know why they'd be interested, know what they're choosing your product in place of or in addition to. So the first piece is you have to be comfortable with sales and knowledgeable and facile with your story. Because at every stage of building a business, it's about sales, whether it's selling the idea to get money, whether it's selling the product um, to get customers, whether it's selling potential recruits to join you. The second piece I would say is to be aware that it at least in my experience and I would say the overwhelming majority of entrepreneurs that I've had the pleasure of knowing that building a business takes longer and costs more money than you anticipate. So if you start with that in mind, knowing that it's likely going to be longer and cost more money, it helps you make decisions. It helps you make decisions about how much money you raise. It helps you make decisions about how you spend your money. It helps you make decisions about when you launch new initiatives. So just having that awareness. And for me, the last one, since you're limiting me to three, um, (laughs) is... Really just never lose your sense of humor. You have to have a very, very thick skin. You know, you get told no many, many, many times. And my philosophy is keep going, keep going, keep going because someone's going to get a yes and it might as well be you. Yes. And so when I'm working with um, clients or when I'm working with uh, professionals in any way, one of the things I say is very tactically, If you want to get to someone, reach out to them at a scheduled time, once a week, once every two weeks, until they tell you to stop. And I guarantee you will get an answer. It might not be the answer you want, but you will get an answer. And sometimes that persistence and that willingness to slog through when you get a no and to not take it personally and to brush it off and to keep moving forward um, really is what separates you know the people who are successful. However, we want to define that successful from the people who whose businesses don't get to the next level.
0: Well, that that is great advice, and I love the always keeping your sense of humor because uh, that has certainly helped <laughs> helped me get through oh, a, lot of, sure. a lot of a lot of business sure. challenges. And I know you have a lot more great advice, and people can find all of that great advice and and sharing all your experience in your fabulous book, Orgasmic Leadership, Profiting from the Coming Surge in Women's Sexual Health and Wellness. So we want them all to go out and get your book because uh, even if you're not planning to go into this field, I think it was just such an amazing book about how the taboos around products for women's sexual health. I mean, we should be mad as hell because we're not, you know, there are obviously so many wonderful products coming out that can help women with so many issues that we uh, that we face and challenges. And the fact that just communicating them to us is become an issue, uh, yeah. it makes me damn mad. So let's get this word out. Well, that's <laughs> why I
1: say, you know, don't get mad, get even. And I always, I, 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 thank you so much for mentioning the book. And it really was uh, something that was an amazing and hard and fulfilling experience, but I'm a person who loves movies. And one of the movies that I quote all the time is network, you know, go to yes. your window, lift it up, stick your head out and say, oh, man, all. I'm not going to take it anymore. And if you sort of use that, I won't say anger, but if you use that passion, you will get somewhere. There is no doubt yes. you'll get somewhere.
0: Well, we love it. Rachel, it's been a great conversation and I know it's—I uh, I know a lot of women are going to listen to this and say, what? <laughs> that's what's happening? So thank you so much for sharing with us. And how do people find out more about you? What's the website that they can go to? Uh, SparkSolutionsForGrowth.com
1: and that's where I have everything, what I write about, where I'm speaking, um, how to get the book, the kinds of work that I do. And I am very, very open to people reaching out. I'm interested in speaking to anybody who's interested in these kinds of issues, whether it's female health related, business growth related, having someone to talk to, to bounce ideas off of. Um, and one of the things I would like to end with is what's really astounding to me about the women in the business of female health is it's an incredibly, incredibly generous community. And yeah. the people who are um, potential competitors, become partners, um, and there's just a lot of knowledge sharing and a concept that if we can make it easier for the next guy wouldn't that be awesome
0: oh the next gal yeah i love hearing that that's such an empowering message and that's so important that women really do uh lift you know help to lift each other up and you know certainly 25, 30 years ago, uh, a lot of that wasn't happening, but it's yeah. really, really great to see that happening now. That was a great point. So thank you for sharing all this with us today, and I know we only touched the surface, um, so we'll we'll have to have you back again with some more updates on what's happening in this exciting area of women's sexual health and wellness so thank I you would for being it. our guest all thank right you.
1: and thank you for all you're doing and having these important creating a space for these important conversations ah
0: thank you so much rachel